And welcome back. Our first question is, why in Acts 23.23 did the commander send so many soldiers, about 200, uh, spearmen and horsemen, to guard Paul? What kind, uh, what, and what happened to the Jews who took an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul? Didn't the Jews take their oath very seriously? So the reason that the commander sent the 200 soldiers to, uh, with Paul to take him to Felix is because they took the threat very seriously. Number one, the threat was reported. They took the threat seriously. And Paul had reported to the commander that he was a Roman citizen. And because he was a Roman citizen, that gave him a, uh, a certain prestige and right to protection that a non-citizen would not have had. And it says it right in the text, once I, uh, that the commander writing to the governor Felix saying, uh, once I discovered he was a citizen, I, I packed him up and sent him off to you because there was this plot to kill him. Regarding the 40 people who took this oath, we're not told anything else that I know of about the outcome of their lives. So I, I, suspect they took their oaths very seriously, lest there would have been no need to ship him off to Felix. But I don't know what happened to them. Dr. Jennings, thank you for your excellent answer to my question last week uh, about what the flesh looks like in the church. Are the rates of mental illness also the same in Christian and non-Christian homes? So if you look at who, I, who you know, call themselves uh, Christian in the community, the answer is yes, there is no difference. If you look at who actually, uh, if you separate out those who actually live active Christian lifestyles and for those who don't, the answer is no. The Christian lifestyle and practice reduces many of the mental health burdens uh, and physical health burdens on um, society um, from um, uh, the uh, addictions or less if they actually live a Christian lifestyle, Okay. Um, and so when I talked last week about addictions the same in Christian and non-Christian homes, those are people who identify themselves as Christian, but they're not actually living the lifestyle. Okay? So, but if they do, um, then, then the practices of Christianity, for instance, a Christian who practices will forgive the wrongdoer and set healthy boundaries with them. We'll do both. If they're practicing, somebody who might say they're Christian but not practice will resent and hold grudge and ruminate and be stressed, and be bitter, and be angry. And that actually has a negative mental health consequence and physical health consequence over time. That's just an example. So if you're looking at who in the community says they're Christian, there's no difference. If you're looking who that actually live out the principles of God's kingdom, there is a difference. In the Bible, why are pronouns that refer to Jesus sometimes capitalized and sometimes not? It depends on your version, and it's just an editor's choice. There's nothing magical about it. Uh, it depends on the choice of the editor to do that, to help the reader identify that this pronoun is referring to the Messiah versus referring to somebody else. And I think that's just a, a construct um, of the editor to help us. In May 16 Q&A, you started to read my question about chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. I also had also posted a question about accessing some of your material, and one question got melded into another. Thanks for your answer about how to access those materials. Could you please shed some light on chronic PTSD? I would appreciate advice you may have for the partner as well as for the person with chronic PTSD. Uh, any particular treatments you recommend? 
uh, my husband is conflicted and not living a joyful life. So the resources have the validated PTSD treatments in my blog. So I actually talk about the different treatments for chronic PTSD. So you go to the resource, you look at the blog on PTSD, and you will find the resources that have validated outcomes that are um, that um, benefit people with PTSD. But I, I suspect your question is something else. And it's my suspicion. Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe it's my years of seeing other people. But I suspect my, my qu- the question is, is, is related to another issue. Because you, you mentioned not how do I help the person, but but the partner as well. I'm, I'm the spouse. And I suspect that puts you in a position of frustration and, and stress and anxiety and worry. And what I've discovered is that in marriage relationships, marriage partners do not have problems in their marriage when their partner has a real problem of any kind, physical or mental health problem, if, if one thing is there in the partner with the problem. And that is the partner with the problem owns the problem. I know I have this problem, and that partner is invested to do all they can within the means and resources available to manage the problem, overcome the problem, heal the problem, maximize their functioning in in spite of the problem. But when the problem becomes a means whereby a spouse can avoid shouldering their responsibilities as spouse... When they don't own it, it's, it's uh, well, I'm sick. I, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do the other thing. And you're always then working to try to get them well or get them into treatment. But they don't own it. They complain about it. That then is the problem. It's not the PTSD anymore. It's the fact that the person with the PTSD isn't invested fully in their own recovery. That is the bigger problem in marriage relationship. We can tolerate our partner's real problems when we experience them as being truly invested in, in maximizing their own functioning. But what we can't tolerate is this other because it's not just about PTS anymore. What it's about, you experience them as betraying their commitment to you to be the best that they can be with the resources they have. And that's, the, I think, the deeper issue. So I'd encourage you to look at that. Do I experience my partner fully committed to overcoming and dealing with their PTSD, and they still may struggle. They still have issues. That's okay. We can do that. I, I respect and I admire him because he's really working hard and he's doing all he can. Or does the PTSD become an excuse to avoid responsibility? And that, and that I think you, you might, might may be an issue to look at. I've seen that happen a lot. What does it mean to say uh, some things in the Bible are not salvation issues? And if not salvation issues, we don't have to abide by it? And where in the Bible does it say some issues have nothing to do with salvation? How can we judge what is and isn't? So, is it healthy? I guess I'll I'll take this question first. What does this question reveal? Where in the Bible does it say some issues have nothing to do with salvation? What, what is this person looking for? Are they looking for understanding the principles of God or are they looking for a rule to tell them what to do? So this question suggests a rules-oriented approach to thinking, a, a checklist of do's and a checklist of don'ts. And if the rules say to do it, then I'm supposed to do it. So how, if I'm supposed to do it and I don't, or if I don't do it, and I, what, then that's a salvation issue because what's salvation now? Salvation is doing the right stuff and avoiding the wrong stuff. That's what's suggested here. 
for me, a salvation issue, what is salvation? Define it. What is salvation? Healing. Healing. Healing what? The heart and mind. Heart and mind, character, restoring us to God's principles, right? The law and the heart and mind. It's healing the inner person that they become Christ-like. So anything that facilitates restoration of Christ-likeness within us is a salvation issue. Anything that interferes with that or or if magnifies the carnal within us, the worldly, is a salvation issue, working in the opposite way, against salvation, okay? There are tons of stuff in Scripture that have no direct impact on either one of those. For instance, Daniel chapter 12, 1,335-day prophecy. Well, what is that 1,335 days? When did it start? When did it end? You think this, you think that, somebody thinks this, somebody thinks that. Uh, well, I think it's this, but I don't. But you think it's that. Well, if you don't believe the way I do, you can't be saved. <laughs> That's not a salvation issue. It has no direct bearing. But how you treat others over that issue is a salvation issue. Do I treat them in a way that devalues them if they don't agree with me? Do I want to disfellowship them if they don't understand things the way I understand them? Do I demand and use power and coercion to control and punish people who have a different doctrinal understanding than me? Uh, that becomes a salvation because that goes to character and what kind of method you practice. So for me, anything that helps you come to know Jesus and God the way Jesus revealed him to be, understand his methods and have his law written on your heart and mind so that you become like Jesus in character, that's a salvation issue. Anything interferes with that interferes with salvation. And the whole purpose of, of, the, of the Bible is to bring people back to a knowledge of God. Life eternal is a knowledge of God. So to the degree it interferes with your knowledge of God. And I could go through the Scripture. There's tons of stuff in Scripture, like the example I just gave you, that are not direct salvation issues. Okay. Are there scriptures that give us a guide on how to handle debt? If we are in debt in multiple areas in our life, is it wrong if we still go shopping and buy other things even if we are making the minimum payments? <laughs> or should we put off, as, put off as much of our paychecks as we can toward debt and paying them off? Well... That question actually is quite complicated in society. I would say this much. Economics, as we understand them in our society, are not from God. Money is an artificial construct made up by human organizations in order to manipulate and control people. Debt is designed to take your liberty and your freedom. That's what it's designed to do, to make you enslaved in some way to manage your debt, to control you. It's also designed to take your most precious commodity other than your soul, okay, the most precious commodity you have to spend. And what is the most precious co commodity you have to spend? Time. Your time. time. Money, uh, debt is designed to take your time and have you apply your time to things other than what God would have you apply your time to. That's what debt is designed to do. Now, does that mean there is no place for any debt or that all debt is evil or debt is wrong? No. There are many people getting debt because of no fault of their own. They have a medical complication, get in a car wreck, they have an accident, they end up with uh, significant medical debts that they never, um, uh, and their insurance won't cover for whatever reason, and they've done it, but they have debt. That's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. There's other types of debt, that, and the, the, the one debt that I think is the most valuable debt, if, you, if, if it's the only mechanism whereby you can uh, advance down this path, is, that's right, S school debt, educational debt. You see, if you, if you get debt on a mortgage, 
and you don't pay your mortgage, what can they do? Take your house. If you get debt on a car or furniture and you don't pay it, what can they do? If you get debt on education but you've got your degree, what can they do? They can't take your education. They can't take your experience. They can't take your knowledge. They can't take your development that you've achieved. And if the only way that you can get the education that you need in our society is to take student debt out, uh, that's the only debt that I really think is, is truly valuable um, because it's better to develop yourself and then ultimately pay it back over time. I, I still think there's a responsibility of a person of integrity to pay that debt back and not just forfeit on it. But it's, it, that is a debt that I can see people taking if there's no other means whereby they can get their education. Most other debt, though, is a trap. Most other debt is a trap. Uh, and I'm saying that for people who, who uh, don't have means. Uh, in our world of finance, if you are a person of means, then taking out loans that you have more than enough money to pay off is no longer really because you're not in debt. You, you actually have more in assets than what you owe, and you're using, you're using the system to manipulate for your own financial better outcomes. <laughs> And people do this all the time. I know people right now uh, that are of means, and I'm not one of them, <laughs> who, uh, who buy properties, at, at, and, they, and they immediately turn around, and they take out a 100% loan on that property, and then they, uh, and then they start renting that property, and, they, and, and they're making tons of money through this. And, and the rents now pay the mortgage. And uh, so... so I took this as personal, and I took this as a person who is in debt. What's the wiser move, to go out and spend more? No, the wiser move is to get your freedom back. Liberty. Get out of debt, get your freedom back. So that's, that's the principle of Scripture, as I understand it. Um, I do a morning and evening devotional called uh, Lectio Divina. Uh, it is written by uh, a prayer, and a, by various prayer leaders. Uh, in the evening reading, it has a section that reads, Father God, would you remind me now of the ways in which I have sinned today in thought, in word, or in deed? I take a moment to confess my sins before you now. Unquote. My question is, is it healthy to go searching for sins committed that day? Aren't I a new cre- creation living in God's forgiveness? I'm looking at faces around the room. Your thoughts? How would you answer this? Okay, what question have we not asked today that we ask most weeks? What law lens are you looking through? So first, what law lens are you looking through when you're defining the issue of sins? If we took sins out of this and instead... Um, I, I take a moment to confess my sins... Um, or excuse me, would you remind me of any way I have sinned today? If instead you would have rephrased that under the design law and say something like, I take a moment to inquire, Lord, was there any way I was injuring myself today by breaking your designs for what's healthy and good in my life? 
If you ask that question, because we understand that human mind is deceitful above all things, utterly wicked, we understand we're finite beings, we understand that even though we have a heart to love the Lord, there might be areas in our life we, we still can grow upon. We still, we still have areas that we might have been active or doing things that were interest us we didn't fully have awareness of yet. And so to ask the, well, this is why the, uh, the Bible talks about going to the law as a mirror to look to see if there are things that could help us discover about ourselves that we need. So this is another way of going to, Father, is there something in my life today where I did didn't notice that was uh, injuring myself or, or, or misrepresenting you or acting in ways that uh, were contrary to the principles of and design laws of your kingdom. Uh, I'd love to know what that is so I can learn and update and process things better so that I can be healthier moving forward, Father. I think that's a very healthy prayer to have. Search me and see the wicked way in me. Create me a clean heart, O oh God. That's a very healthy prayer. But if we, if we approach this through deeds done... Only rules. Did I break any rules today, Lord? Well, yes. Uh, your your watch was running a little slow, and you didn't get the TV off until two minutes after sunset tonight. You broke a rule, and you violated my Sabbath law. Okay, it was like it's like it's like you speed limit was thirty five. You were doing thirty seven. You broke it. Sorry. I, yeah, I know you didn't do it on purpose, but you need to ask for my blood to erase that out of your book, or I'll have to burn you in hell. Okay? If that is the approach, then these types of meditations would be quite destructive. It, 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 it takes you down a behavior, me-centered pathway. It's all about me, do and don't, fear of God, consequence, rather than a mature growth. Thank you, God. Uh, how can I be more like you, and how can I live healthier? I, I want to do this because it's the best way to live, and I love your methods. And then, and then you go back and read Psalms 119. If you haven't read Psalms 119 in a while, it's a great psalm. I encourage you to check it out of the remedy as well. But it's it's all about the living law of God, and, and those who love God's law love to live in their wiser. It's like, I love understanding how reality works. It's so much better to live in harmony with it. That's really what Psalms 119 is about. All right, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love, for the way you've uh, created your universe and the wisdom that you've given us. We pray that you will continue to search us and and show us how, how we can move forward in truth, advancing in your kingdom each day to be more like you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.